Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. We are partying like it's episode 99. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. My name is Joe O'Brien. And I am Troy, king of all cliffhangers, La Valley. <laughs> oh, Troy. Kneel before me. <laughs> oh, king of cliffhangers. Lawyer subjects. <laughs> Man, you have been on a streak in cannon fodder lately of making yourself royalty. Yeah. Straight up royalty. Straight up royalty, baby. What's the march to 100? <laughs> the march to four. It is the March to 100, and this week we published episode 99, the last installment in that March to episode 100, before we actually get to episode 100 next week. And let me tell you what a relatively average episode. <laughs> Pretty run sort of, of the mill. You know, it's a run-of-the-mill glass cannon, week oh. in and week out. A little combat, a little clues. Bit of a clunker. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you can't hit them all out of the park. You know, you know what I mean? Some of them... They just sail just out of bounds. 99 episodes, you're bound to have one stinker in there. <laughs> oh, man. Is it obnoxious to be super sarcastic about how great you are? We got nothing else going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but truly, this was a, a situation where what in the hell? I had no idea that this was going to happen. I might have had some suspicions myself that it might happen at some point. But the way it happened certainly Never entered my mind, and I am nothing short of devastated. But I don't know <laughs> where to start, and I, I've been saying that a lot on Cannon Fodder because these episodes have been so crazy, but is this something where we just need to talk about this right now, or should we start at the beginning of the episode when we had when we were a different show? It was a different show, that is for sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's your call. Your, your guy is back in the picture. I'm going to let you decide what you'd like to talk about first because this is going to be a three hour cannon fire. <laughs> I know. It's, it, what do you, I mean, what do you expect me honestly to do? Do you expect me to talk about rucks for a while? <laughs> they were actually juvenile rucks. <laughs> Oh, thank God. Oh, my gosh. So, all right. I will start chronologically as best I can, and we'll, we'll move good. through. Build up. Yeah, Build up we'll, we'll move through what happened. So we go into this episode knowing that we are up against some sort of strange combat. We have the terrible lip-smacking noises, which we got uh, bad reviews about. Do you want me to do them again? <laughs> Cut the mic. Cut the mic. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Um, and... Only two of the PCs actually see this. Sir Will, Della, and Umlo are left kind of lower down on the stairs. They don't have line of sight. And we start the episode with them not really knowing what's happening. But the first shocking thing that we see, honestly, before we even start recording, is the size of the map. Oh, man. I mean, come on. I have not seen something like that, even in, in any games that you and I have played together, where you had to put two maps together <laughs> to make a 150-foot diameter room. Yeah. A huge circle with a giant, literally giant table in the middle of it, meeting table. You know, it's funny because I've been looking at these maps for months and months and months. Uh, and I knew it was large. I've seen these maps where it says every five feet is actually 10 feet, but it wasn't till I started drawing this out that I fully, that I myself fully understood the scope. 
It was huge. It was, it was huge. As I'm, as before you guys came over, as I was drawing it all out, I was, I was blown away. And I've come to the realization that we are going to have to change the way we do things, uh, when we record the show. I don't think I can do many more, um, drawn maps. Yeah. You told us, you said you, you think the show might go to roll 20, but you know, with us in person. Yeah. But using laptops and roll 20 maps because the scope is too big for your (laughs) tiny coffee table. And really, I want to do justice to the maps. I want to do justice to the way the adventure is supposed to be done, where these tiny people are dealing with a literal giant threat. Yeah. So I think we'll do something where I'll like, we're going to have to do some experimenting. Uh, maybe put the maps up on, uh, you know, my HDTV and everybody have their laptops. It might actually move things along quicker. Um, but uh, it's it's going to be a, a fun change. And what a great time to start doing it uh, <laughs> with the first 100 episodes out of the way. First 99. <laughs> yes, exactly. Starting a, a whole new era, really, of the show at this point. So might as well up our technology, right? Yep. So we see this open, expansive room. You want us to spread the action out. This is a situation that many Pathfinder games face. We've talked about this before on Cannon Fodder. What is... How do we get around this problem that some people say Pathfinder has, and I agree with them, but this has been said before. I'm not the first person to say this, that there is issues of clumping mm-hmm. where you, everyone just kind of slams together in one place and does as many full attack actions as possible to maximize their damage output. It just makes so much strategic sense that there's really no motivation to do anything else other than just to be creative, to be fun. There's no tactical value to it whatsoever. And here I was just a matter of weeks ago giving you shit for not playing tactically. So if you're going to play tactically in Pathfinder, a lot of times you find yourself all jammed up and you say, I want you guys to try to spread out. And we did a pretty good job. Really explore the space. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is something that is 100% always on the players. The players have to do this. And it harkens back to what I was saying last week is like you as a GM, if you want to encourage people to explore the space, then you can't just go full out at them the whole time as well. Like allow them the chance to do that and then let's have a combat. But you know, it, it does does make sense that tactically you'd want to stay together until you're proven otherwise until you're dealing with powerful casters that are doing aoe burst damage that are going to force you to split up it's just kind of the way it happens it's just difficult for gms because the gms have to decide am i just going to throw my monster into the fray and it's just going to get die in a matter of rounds maybe do a, a little bit of damage on the way or am i going to do stuff like i had the opportunity to do this time where it's like i'm going to fall back and have you guys come to me yeah um well the biggest thing that will give you that ability is obstructions and yeah. cover so if you can put some as a gm if you can put some cover in the room or in the area and utilize the trees of the forest sure but the whole point being that if you're in an open area like that fill it with those kind of obstructions and as a gm it gives you so much more to work with in terms of hiding, waiting, readying actions. I'll stand behind here and ready an action as soon as a, a PC comes around the corner, I'll attack. Right. That kind of stuff. That is a way as a GM that you can manipulate the movement of the PCs a little more. Sure, sure. I mean, I think what's nice is these maps are so big right now. And I'm, I now, by now, 20, 30 episodes with these, with these new, newer characters, I'm starting to figure out new ways to challenge them, new ways to challenge that Nestor can do all that damage, new ways to challenge Baron's, uh, range limitations. Yeah. And, um, 
So I think it's going to provide for some some really interesting combats to come. Yeah, it's certainly tough for Baron as it gets into la- larger and larger scope because 20 feet all of a sudden starts to seem really, really tiny when you're dealing with relatively these gigantic spaces. When you're dealing with creatures that have 15 feet reach, I mean, that means you're going to, you're a five foot step away from getting full, full attack, attack action. You know? yeah. yeah. And like you saw in this one, obviously the, the Cyclops didn't have that kind of reach, but Baron was up against a wall and was kind of trapped. If he wanted to do damage with that gun, there was only so far he could back and the Cyclops understood that and that's why he backed him into a corner. Oh man, let's talk for the only thing in this episode that I have any interest in actually talking about <laughs> besides the reveal that Lork is back is the flash of insight. How cool is that? I want that so bad on all my monsters. That was awesome. If that was a feat, I would take it with every single one of my characters. I would literally be build whatever the prereqs were to make sure I got flash of insight. <laughs> Isn't that so cool? Once per day is an immediate action. A Cyclops, in this case, can peer into an occluded visual spectrum of possible futures gaining insight that allows it to select the exact result of one die roll before the roll is made <laughs> unbelievable so that's like oh so so, 20. That, so that's not just a 20 roll for a critical which is obviously a really good usage of it it's also it could be a damage roll you can maximize your damage die anything yeah any one die roll oh my god that crazy now obviously i had to confirm the crit um but it's just so see cool. if you roll a crit at that point, and you hadn't used it, you used that flash of insight to confirm, and it's just That's boom. what I wanted to do. I was like holding out to see how long I could go before using it so I could confirm the crit. Yeah, but you don't want him to die without using no, it. No, I had to bring that power up before he went down. Um, so cool. It, it made Grant so mad. <laughs> it was so great because <laughs> you just kept, you meant it when you kept saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, Grant. Yeah. Or Baron, because you knew he had that ability. We didn't know what you, what you were talking about. We thought you were just normal Troy bravado. <laughs> but meanwhile, you had this plan to actually roll a 20 that you didn't even have to roll. Right, and with power attack, that's 3d6 plus 16 damage with that great axe. So the other ability that was... Times three, crit, by the way. (laughs) Very scary. The other thing that was really cool was the... The other ability that was really cool was the Rock's ability. Snatch. You mean the the Olympic toss. Yeah. The the, the discus. What was it? so? It's called. It's just called snatch. Yeah, it's called snatch. Um, you can start a grapple with your claw or bite attack as though it had the grab ability. If it grapples a creature three or more sizes smaller, it squeezes each round for an automatic bite uh, or claw damage with successful grapple check. Blah 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 blah. The creature can drop a creature it has snatched as a free action or use a standard action to fling it aside. <laughs> a flung creature travels one d six times ten feet and takes 1d6 points of damage per 10 feet traveled. That is so cool. So awesome. That is just really, really awesome. Yeah. And that image of Della flying over the table. and Yeah, so what was happening there? Was Sir Will and Della, were they working together a little bit? Was it just a necessity? Was the the heat of combat, nobody was thinking about anything? Was... It was pretty interesting, think? I thought, because, you know, there has never been a, uh, every other time there was an argument like, please don't use it, I use it. There's been like a talk afterwards, like, hey, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry too. All right, cool. All right, let's agree to disagree. This time there's been no talk, but it's like, what are you going to do? Just let the other person die? Right. Well, at least not this time that didn't happen, but it did. I felt like it took, uh, both of you a couple rounds before you were really in, uh, you know, working together. Right. Um, but, 
it, it, it was going to, it could have come down to a point where you would have to have actually saved each other's lives. In this case, you just worked to make sure that that didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't quite come to that. But after we finish and wrap up the combat, we have maps. Man, oh, do I love yeah. maps. Who doesn't love a good map? Who doesn't love, what nerd doesn't love a good map? And the fact that this room is full of them and th- that we were able to roll these things up, obviously we were in a dangerous territory. We didn't have time to examine everything fully. This is something that I intend to do immediately when, when the situation presents itself. I think that episode 100 will be much better to just go through maps for a while rather than talking to Lork. I think that would probably be the best use of our time. That's how we really want to bring episode 100 to the masses. <laughs> Treasure, spellcraft checks, and whatnot. But that's tough. I hate that when you like... I like that you guys played it the way it should have been played. It's like, there's so much stuff here you just want to pour over. But there's no time. You're inf- infiltrating the middle tower of this cathedral. You can't be like, all right, guys. Let's take two hours in this room with all these dead bodies and just look at these maps and whatnot. Right. You know, but you got to, I, I mean, I don't know. When, when are you going to rest? When is it going to be a time now? Let's, let's go back out to the Oculus tent. No one will know we're here when they don't, when they see the dead giant Etten and the dead Cyclops and five dead double-headed vultures. And the dead hill giants. And the, the dead hill giants. It's a lot of death. Yeah. A lot of death outside this cathedral right now. They do not have very consistent patrols, I've noticed, around the cathedral. Well, you guys did go in a back door, and their, you know, Tharg Three Eyes was as much of a guardian of that tower as True. anything else. Um, yeah. He was not a uh, smart one. No. Um, we made short work of him. But we do end up getting ourselves in a position to gather a lot of interesting intelligence, which we have not obviously had the chance to look at yet. But I don't know what this this childish drawing of the castle in the sky or castle on a cloud is that what it was? Is that? Oh, I see a castle on a cloud. <laughs> yes, that one. Uh, uh, yeah, a huge he, castle he, floating on a cloud. Yeah, you kind of tried to blow it off a little bit. You're like, it just—it looks like a children's drawing. Yeah. I was like, this is the thing. Pretty rudimentary drawing. Yeah, it's got to be. Uh, it's got to be where we're going. I mean, there are maps. There's like locations Book of other five. giant strongholds. There's a lot of stuff in that room. Uh, and then you go upstairs to a bedroom. Of some sort, someone's quarters. Right. Um, there's a table, like a meeting table on one side and a bed with the three chests on the other side. Two are empty. One's locked. More. What is going on? It reminded me a lot of when you guys were down in the chapter house, uh, with the, the bodies of the near, near Mathas soldiers. Yeah. More like, what, what is this wedding gown? What is going on? <laughs> That's right. I like that. I love when, when I have, you know, my thoughts and ideas and knowledge of what is actually happening and I get to just listen to you guys piece it out and see how close or how far away. And I love too when you say things that are like not right at all, but your intentions are right. Just seeing how, like how people would really react when they come up with this information. Like, well, here's the information I have. Now I have this new information. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. And it's so funny because when you eventually find out, you can go back and listen like, ah, I was so close. <laughs> so close. Yes, yes. And then we go up another flight of stairs. You sure do. Uh, I kind of blacked out. After uh, after hearing Sergeant Lork Iron Tusk's name and then hearing that his feet were cut off. Feet cut off. And I don't really remember what else was in that room. So were there multiple bodies in there? It's I remember there. I thought you said there was like an old man 
And then yeah. someone else was Lork, or was you really that- did black out? I thought you would have uh, like you probably can't re-listen to this episode to know for sure. <laughs> oh no, wait, you can. Uh, <laughs> you know, you Della and Baron were the ones up front using their dark vision, and they saw an old man, what appeared to be an old man, lying face down in on the ground in one of the cages. Maybe dead, maybe alive, Un- unable to tell. Just beyond that, saw a couple more people, and the only reason they knew they were alive is they could see that they were uh, suffering horribly from all the flaying. That's of their right, body. flaying. Yeah. Um. Maybe there was more in that room. They don't know because they turned, and then it's when they saw Lork. But um, that was it. That's all. Everything just if that, if this was a uh, movie, it would be like this: the pan out as the camera moves in, that like vroom, uh, effect, and uh, poor Lork turns over, no feet. What happened to Lork? Well, I have a pretty good idea what happened to Lork. I mean, this is what we saw the, that pile of feet, and I just can't believe that you would do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I can believe that you would do that. You really like just kind of just driving your players into the ground until they have no (laughs) will to come back and play the game. But outside of that, it is, it's so depressing. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm already trying to deal with having an an ex member (laughs) paladin here, which is fun and of my own doing. And I completely acknowledge that, but it is. It's hard, you know, it's like difficult work. Right. The sessions for me are trying to figure out exactly how to play this character properly and take it in the direction that I want to take it and how to do it in the right way. But all of a sudden, I get thrown this curveball, which is like, well, what happens now? I mean, am yeah. I supposed to control Lork? Do I have two completely defunct, irrelevant characters to play? <laughs> like, where's the fun in that? Yeah, well, uh, all I can say is it is going to be the most interesting episode we've ever recorded. <laughs> uh, episode 100. If you don't mind saying so if yourself. If I don't mind saying so myself, I mean, I really, when you started telling me that Lorca was going to leave, I immediately thought was like, my immediate thought was like, well, Okay, well, I'm not going to just take him out of the story forever. If you really want to do this, if you really think that's what Lork would do, he would leave. Then I, I immediately just uh, the wheel started turning. How how does he return to this story? And as I continued thinking about it, it was probably less than a month later that I came up with this idea that you guys would eventually find him. So yeah, that day. that was a question I, I had for you, like mm-hmm. in real time, not in game time, but in real world time. How long in your mind has Lork been in that cell how long ago did you put him in that cell in your mind find out next week <laughs> <laughs> no oh you mean when did i when did i decide that's where he was gonna exactly be? oh uh oh god i don't know what episode Months? what episode did you leave on do you remember that was 71 72 and so uh probably sometime around 74 75 you already knew about that tower I, I and knew, the jail and oh yeah the i mean cages. i had already read all that stuff i think i started deciding that's where you guys would find him again because i knew it would be i i, I just knew that's where i wanted to go and then i had another 28 episodes to start fleshing out the how 
Um, and so then and you haven't told me this and I have, no, we, we have not, we've just barely started talking about it because you have been texting me all week, <laughs> uh, how happy you are that Lork's back. And then you're like, so glad to have something like, so glad to have Lork back. And then there was a bunch of spaces in at the end of the text without feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I yeah. was, I was very excited to see him back, but of course in my mind when he left and. I understand that I let him go and I get that, but I imagined him coming in, you know, just in an arrow screaming out of the darkness and putting the killing blow down to save Baron's life or something like that. And then there in the darkness, you see Lork Iron Tusk, super badass, curse gone, only rolls 20s now, the new and improved Lork, but instead it's just he's dropped even lower. Yeah, and that's what's so sad and perfectly tragic about it is this is a guy who left for one reason and has failed yet again obviously i mean unless we're missing something has failed even more miserably this curse has to be real look at him now <laughs> and and where does he go from here but that's the story that i'm most interested in telling i want to know obviously i'm sure everybody wants to know what happened to lork right but like the story i'm interested in tell is like is there is he is he is he able to be saved now right is there well, I mean, is it feasible logistically? You run across this kind of stuff in games where it's, do we actually have the means to transport this character? There is, when you're not high level casters, you don't necessarily have the means to tote around a bunch of maimed people to save them. Usually you have to just kind of leave them there and then continue and clear everything out. But we're in a situation where clearing everything out to me does not sound feasible. It doesn't sound like it's possible in this mission. I don't really know how this mission ends, but I can't imagine it It ends with just walking Lork out of here, you know, so I don't even know where to start. And I, I am definitely dealing with, in my own mind, how to handle... Sir Will at, in reference to Lork. I think that it's a, such a strange time. I think that Sir Will would have been so much more clearly ready to just grab and help Lork no matter what because of his training and his upbringing and his religion. But now he is infected by something. Something is happening to him and he might be a little more prone to a selfish view of the situation and try to save himself maybe i'm not sure yet but it isn't as clear to me and i might have to force something to have sir will care about lork you know it's like the player obviously i care about both of them immensely and right. especially lork right now but i can't play sir will as as that right if it doesn't fit if it's not right so it's a difficult uh situation for me to separate myself from Sir Will right now. Yeah, and you know, as much as I had this all planned, I had no idea that the party would be in the situation amongst itself that sure. it is right now. You never it, could have seen that. It honestly could not be a, a worse time <laughs> to meet up with someone who they see as an abandoner. Right. You know what I mean? Now in this helpless state. You know, it's one thing to like have poor Gormley pass and just like, we'll put her in this closet and give her gentle repose. Let's clear out the vault and then we will carry her out of here. You know, it's like, what did she weigh? 98 pounds soaking wet. Right. Like Lork is almost 250 pounds. Well, he was. Or he was. I yeah. would imagine. Now he's probably be. in a svelte 185, uh, from <laughs> starvation. But yeah, it's, it's just, I, I will say that there are going to be mechanics that you and the other guys I don't think have ever dealt with in Pathfinder before. Uh, a lot of which I'm creating myself. It's going to be, fucking awesome 
Yeah, and I'm going to cut it off there, honestly, just because I we I don't want to talk about it too much. Yeah, I've, I've, I could go I'm on being with so theories too because I don't even want to like uh, say too much about what's right. going to happen. I want I'll, you to know too much. I love right. surprising you guys. Exactly, so. and a lot of what we do on Cannon Fodder is talk about the things that we would talk about normally after the episode. But I I just can't right now go into too much detail on trying to pry from you this information because I know that it's going to come out on the show, and I just want to I just want to hear it. I want to know what happened. I want to know what happened to my man. The March to 100 is drawing to a close, Joseph. Mm. Uh, I think it's time we got a little listener mail in here, Troy. Let's uh, let's go to the people. Oh, yes, we are going to do that this week. What people? <laughs> Just any old person? <laughs> no, there's one in particular. Ah, okay. This week's question. This week's question. This week's question. This week's question. Joe's been drinking. I actually haven't. <laughs> this week's question comes in from James in Rapid City, South Dakota. It is a bit of a long story that I'm going to try to summarize. James, I apologize Ooh. if I get any of these details wrong, but I am loving this email right now, and I just want to say, if you want to do something like this, Please do it. I love stories from people's games that we can learn a lesson from. That's what we're going for with this one. So this is a story of something that actually happened in James's game where he was the GM. He basically set up a situation where he wanted the uh, characters to get swindled in a bar type situation, in a gambling hall type uh, arena, and their second level, and he threw in a seventh level rogue to fool them, maybe steal some of their money and not have them really find out about it and just have them feel like, oh my God, what happened to our money? We totally got swindled in there. We don't know what happened, but that's what happens when you come up against high-level characters. So he puts the seventh-level rogue in there. My understanding of the situation is they started losing pretty regularly and they thought that maybe something was up. The wizard was smart enough to say, I'm not going to play anymore. And the half-orc, though, wanted to go another round. And the wizard decides to watch this guy to see if he's doing anything shifty, this rogue, and then rolls a natural 20 on the perception. <laughs> so he's like, ah, so the sleight of hand gets caught and he can see that he has switched out the dice and he's using loaded dice. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say anything outright, but then he basically intimates like, don't play with this guy anymore. He's, he's cheating. And the half work gets really pissed. He calls him on it and the guy is able to pass another sleight of hand check to lose the loaded dice and now just have regular dice. So there's no evidence that he really did it, but the players know that he did it. The characters know that he did something, but they can't. Right. So they're in a situation where they just have to kind of walk away. The half work decides he's going to wait for him after <laughs> and jump him in an alley. So the, the second level half work. Exactly. Right. So now James is like, oh shit, like my second level half work is going to try to jump a seventh level rogue in an alley. <laughs> this is not going to go well. And he thinks, oh, he'll get found out pretty early and won't be able to get him out of this. And he rolls a natural 20 on the stealth check, the half-orc, okay. to close on the rogue. So now he's closing, and the, the rogue actually doesn't know about it. And, the, and James is just like, what is going to happen now? Half-orc says, I'm going to use my hand axe to behead the guy. And he's like, okay, make an attack roll. And he makes the attack roll, and he does some damage. But, of course, the second-level half-orc does not do any significant <laughs> life-threatening damage to the seventh-level rogue who proceeds to turn around, instantly paralyze him, steal everything on his person, and get out of there scot-free. After this situation, James is now second-guessing himself. So he's coming to us with the following questions. Should I have allowed the kill 
for Grunk. That's the name of the half orc. <laughs> Should I have allowed the kill for Grunk, even though the stat comparison doesn't even come close? I feel like what I did was discourage him from trying something unique by just having the rogue beat his ass and leave. He, the player wasn't rewarded for his actions, his, his brave sort of alley jump idea. Um, or was I punishing him because I, he did something I didn't see coming and I didn't really reward him for it. Instead, I just said, ugh, well, this is what happened because you did the wrong thing. Quote unquote. He's, he's frustrated with himself and he's second guessing the, the situation. I think that this brings up a couple basic questions for GMs, not only about higher level characters against lower level characters and how you balance all that out. But when your players have a creative idea like that, and you know, mechanically it is impossible for them to succeed at what they want to try to do. Do you still not let them succeed or do you just fudge and say, you know what? They never really knew he was seventh level. I'll just let him kill him in one blow. And then we'll deal with the aftermath of that. What are your thoughts on, on his, on James's decision? Well, you know what I would have done in that situation, right? You would have killed the half orc. Absolutely. <laughs> That is I knew it. what that character and player both deserve. <laughs> and it would have I been awesome. What a great character death. Like there are only so many ways that a character can die in a in an RPG sense that are just so awesome. And that to me was worth it. That's what he earned. I, I he should James, you should not be second guessing yourself. If anything, you should second guess yourself for not being hard enough. That rogue should have turned around, paralyzed him, stole his stuff, and then made him watch him kill him. Like you watch while I kill you in your paralyzed state. Um you know, this kind of stuff happens all the time and I think it's okay for the GM to kind of push down on the gas pedal and if it means that character dies, it's gonna have ev- everyone kind of step back and be like Shit, we need to be a lot more careful with who we right. step to. Right. You know, and I think that, that, I think that's totally fine for that to happen. To reward a second level character though and be like, oh, I should just let him kill him and get his money back. Absolutely not. No way. No. Uh, I think <laughs> so you, you don't are see this. so generous just, pe- uh, paralyzing him and taking all this stuff. That's super generous. Yeah. I think it's pretty generous as well. I, I think that the robbing him, I, I think it's a good idea. I think you got out of it in a good way. And maybe you have a sensitive player. Maybe you have a player who you know is not going to take character death well. If that's the case and that's why you made that decision, then I can understand that. I think it's a pretty good one. I, for one, would not have just given him the kill on a character that that you made seventh level and that was that good at cheating for that reason. This happens as a GM. The roles sometimes don't go your way. And in this case, it really went the player's way. And it didn't go the GM's way in more than just, oh, you beat my guy. It, you beat my check. It didn't go your way in the sense that you had to double your work now because right. this scene is now extending into something you never planned. But sometimes those create the best stories. Oh, yeah. And the, the players don't know this is not part of the adventure or what you originally had planned. And you never want to tilt your hand. You never want them to know that. You want to say, all right, so you're going to meet him in the alley? Okay. Cool. All right. So, uh, you know, I drew the map for the alley earlier, but then I thought you guys would never do this. So I, oh, let me just redraw it right, right, right. now. You know, like play a little <laughs> poker with them. Let sure, them know sure. that, you, that you expected this to happen. And then what you're doing is you're just drawing them into that character death. <laughs> That's the best thing you can do. Never let the, especially when you're using published adventure paths, never let the players know that you come, came up with this stuff. Like always make them assume it's part of the pre-written story. Yeah. Or that they surprised you. Right. Never let them know. What I do, I do it sometimes in reverse, which is oftentimes just as much of a tell, but I will be like, I cannot believe 
you went through that door first. Meanwhile, that's exactly what I expected and wanted. <laughs> and, and the players are like, yeah, yeah, look at us. <laughs> you know, and you're like, right, right. Ah, I got him. But now I've done that one too many times, and my players are just like, shut up, O'Brien. We know we're exactly where we're supposed to <laughs> and be. And you know what? We're backing out and going the other way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what about higher level characters? Uh, you put in something, you know, mechanically that the players cannot beat, and they're they're kind of climbing this hill that they will never, you know, the Sisyphean task that they will never accomplish. How do you either, how do you deal with that? Is it always character death? Is there a way to kind of get them off it and make them realize without being so blunt as like, guys, you're not going to be able to do this. Well, it's funny. I think about had the, the party all been there when Brander, um, feeble minded gal, if they had all been there and there had been like a little bit of a battle, like what would have happened? Would Brander have just, you know, killed them all and ran off? Would you guys have like taken Brander out, who is so much higher than you? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Or would it just have been one of those things where he did massive amount of damage, maybe killed one of you, still feeble-minded gal, and then took off? And you're like, while you're just unconscious, or right? Like, what, 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 why did we do that? You know, right? I think that you can do fun things like that, um, especially with bosses. Um, you know, it's a James Bond technique. It's like, you know, have the boss capture them and torture them and, you know, get to see them and fight them a little bit and have them be like clearly too powerful and just takes off. And you guys realize we need to work harder if we ever are ready to take that boss on again. Right. And there's two different ways to go about that. The James Bond way, which is you get away. Right. Or there's the Pathfinder way, which is you die. Right. <laughs> and then it's make a new character, and now you know better for next time, not to mess with somebody that seems a little out of your league. The other thing is, as a GM, you don't want to draw them in too much. You don't want to, you have to be true to what the characters would perceive. Yeah. Unless there is something that's really deceitful happening to them. If they are specifically being deceived, then sure, you can deceive them. But if the character that they're going after is seventh level compared to second level, there are obvious signs of that to characters. Sure. You can see that someone has extremely expensive equipment, masterwork armor, masterwork weapons, magical weapons. This, These kind of things can be seen. Sure. So you can give the characters fair warning and say, you know that this guy is out of your league, but do whatever you want. Maybe that's too much warning. What, what do you think? Would you give that much warning to a player? Because I, I definitely have in the past. I've warned people off of getting themselves into a situation where they're going to die. I've done that too. Like it depends on what you, the GM, are interested in, what road you're interested in going down. Yeah. Like I've sometimes you just let your players talk, and the players are talking in the room. Like should we just maybe we should just attack this guy. Maybe we should just kill him. You know, just go out. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the way he's talking to me. Maybe we should just go after him, and then I'll just like chime in with like, just so you know, this guy looks. Pretty badass. <laughs> you know, and that's all you need to do to discourage them. Like, this is a CR 15 character and you guys are level four. Right. Just want to make that clear. Right. And, and I've said this before, I think on Cannon Fodder that I'm okay with revealing mechanical numbers as a way to put the players in the same mindset of their characters. I did a PFS with you guys once that I ran a long time ago where there was this giant demon that was really just a set piece to the combat. You weren't actually supposed to fight the demon. The demon was outside trying to break his way in, and the actual combat had to deal with more skill checks to get something done before he broke his way through. And one of the players wanted to attack him wanted to like run to him and attack him but he was a huge or colossal creature like a gargantuan demon and he was taking the whole tarot down it was godzilla you know right and i was like 
you wouldn't do that. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, don't tell me what I would do. I would do whatever I want. And, uh, it was Grant. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I just was like, this guy has an AC of 32. You know, and I just set it flat out and it wasn't to break the fantasy or to just reveal mechanics. It was to say, like, I don't know how else to describe to your character what they would look at and know that they're unhittable. Right. But without just saying the mechanics. And sometimes I will use that for good as well. Mm -hmm. If it's an ally or something like that, I will tell them what their AC is. Or how the armor that they're wearing is worth 24,000 gold pieces. <laughs> you know, you just kind of say something like that. And as players, we can then slot that into an understandable view of what is happening. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's totally fine. It's just up to you if you want. Sometimes maybe they've been having an easy go of it and you want to put them in their place and you're just like, all right, yeah, go for it. Go attack this guy. And then have him just lay one of them out or do some real crazy damage uh, or the players may surprise you and just have some crazy rolls and defeat your guy sometimes it's fun to just let the dice happen and, and but you got to be ready to improvise if you're going to go down that road then be ready to pull off the gas pedal if you don't want a tpk just be to teach your party a lesson <laughs> for fronting against the seventh level rogue right and as always we'll always footnote this with you got to know your players you yeah. have to know your players if your players are going to be okay with it then go ahead. Don't don't be afraid to mechanically make those characters as strong as they are. Let the players do what they want, especially if they're really experienced and they make new characters all the time. It's like, let them play around and experiment. Maybe they know this character's out of their league, but they're just like, fuck it. I want to see what happens. Yeah. Then, you know, let them do it, but don't ease up on them. And, you know, this story that you tell is a perfect example of, you know, as a GM, you got to be ready for the dice to roll not, you know, their way so perfectly yeah. that everything you planned has to go out the window. Right. Um, I just love stories like that because now, even though this guy's going to be pissed that like all of his items are stolen, he's only second level, probably didn't lose that much. What a great story that they'll tell 50 sessions from now. Like, totally. remember when you went after that rogue? He almost <laughs> killed you and paralyzed you and stole all your stuff? Yeah, he could have killed you and just decided not to because he was like, hey, it's not worth it. And James, little tidbit, have that rogue come back when they're seventh level. I love it. See him in a bar again and have the orc be like, hey, meet me outside. I want my stuff back. <laughs> All right, buddy. I am uh, going to get out of here and start prepping episode 100. <laughs> Who am I playing? Am I Sir Will or am I Lork? Uh, you know, it's funny. I can't really tell anything to anyone. I already feel like I've said too much this episode. I just want <laughs> you and everyone else to be ready for what I think is going to be a phenomenal and perfect and fitting. I'm so lucky. I feel so lucky that we've come this far and that you guys kind of did exactly what I hoped you would so that we can deliver an amazing episode 100. <laughs> Alright, buddy. See you there. Alright, hey, don't run with those uh, no feet you have. Oh, God. Come on. Too soon. <laughs>